Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, we've got Mark Hodelik with us. Uh, Mark, how you doing, my man? I'm great, Brett. How are you? I'm good. I like those pictures back there. Looks like you got some uh, mountains, maybe. Mountains and a lake. Got some kids. Yeah, Stuff going got, on. Uh, creating experiences. Europe ski trip, dog, kids, all the things. The white picket fence. You got it all, man. Uh, well, cool. I am excited to have you today. So you are uh, an avid adventurer. You're an accomplished entrepreneur, father of two boys, uh, married, founded and exited multiple companies. Uh, one of them, with, which I'm assuming is what that red hat is right there, is the 29029. And uh, we'll look forward to talking about all that stuff. But before we do that, I'd like to dive in and kind of learn about the past, man. What's the background? What's the story you've got that's made you the man you are today? Well, Thanks for having me. Um, it hasn't been a linear journey, I'll tell you that. But uh, but briefly, yeah, look, I had a great childhood growing up. Um, my dad was a runner. Um, I got to be a competitive runner in late middle school to high school and ran track in college. And I think, you know, for the basis of just discipline and commitment to a goal and didn't achieve my goals at all as a college runner, I ran at Auburn as much as I love the school. I probably shouldn't have been running in the SEC. I was good enough to make our travel team and ass kicked at every race that we went to. So, you know, it was a, a humbling experience. And then always just kind of dream big, right? And kind of felt like I knew what my life would be like if I moved back to Birmingham, Alabama, where I was originally from. And right after school, moved up to New York City. And, uh, you know, it's kind of knowing what the goal is, but having no idea how you're going to figure it out. I knew I wanted to live there. Uh, I knew I wanted to be in consulting or work in finance. And it was a tough market. It was right after 02. Um, and yeah, it was just a real tough time to find a job in the world of finance. And so I did everything from sell payroll door to door to ADP to work at Thomas Pink selling luxury clothing goods to uh, working at a caterer. And it took me about four months to find a really good management consulting job, but I wasn't unwilling to put in really hard work that, that maybe I felt like my degrees and my background and my skill set maybe weren't aligned with. I was just willing to put in the work to try to find the goal. And yeah, you know, I kind of just uh, met my wife in New York. We've been married 17 years now. And pretty quickly in the world of management consulting, I knew it's not what I wanted to do in a long time. It still had always that side hustle mentality and had founded a business off to the side and eventually was able to, to kind of leave my consulting gig and do that full time. And that's kind of changed into the world of event production, a lot of live events, community building, and finds me where I am today, which is you know, running a company that I founded with my partners that we sold and bought back called 29029. And uh, that stands for the height of Everest, 29,029 feet. And we built a really cool community and endurance concept that really gives people a story to tell. You know, over a course of a weekend, you know, you're going to go to Sun Valley or Whistler or Jackson Hole. And we're going to present a challenge of can you hike up a mountain and take a gondola down? Continue to climb it until you hike 29,029 feet. So kind of very quick transition to where I'm at now. But yeah. um, never it's never easy. And I think a lot of people don't see all of the challenges, failed businesses, jobs you didn't want to work, they kind of just see the lifestyle that you have now or, or the position you're in now. And um, I'm only able to be here because uh, of learning from my mistakes, but also having really great trusted relationships along the way that finally found the right way to leverage all those in this current business that I'm running now. Yeah. 
Well, it's awesome to see, man, that you talked about the community. I mean, the, the 29029 is amazing. I mean, I watch it through Jesse's uh, social media stuff, Jesse Itzler's social media stuff. That's how I originally got turned on to it. And then through your stuff, it's just amazing. It's an amazing community. Uh, and, a, and it's something that people, uh, I think, of all walks of life can try to go accomplish. And so my question for you, if there's a thousand people that do it, how many people are finishing it? Depends on the location. But I say on average around 68%, right? 68 to 70% finish it. Um, well, compare that to a marathon where you get about a 98% finisher rate. A lot of people are surprised okay. by that. Marathons have a, a, a tremendously high uh, finisher rate. And then compare that to something that I've done as well, the Leadville Trail 100, which is one of the most famous the kind of mountain ultra marathons, 100-mile run. That's got like a 35% finisher rate. So I don't want to say we're, we're in the middle. Uh, it, it's really hard. Um, it takes a long time, but um, it's so approachable. We had a participant, Jim Fisher, who finished our event last year in Whistler, 80 years old, right? Oh, wow. And he said it's, fr- he said it's frustratingly doable. Like he just moved slowly walking for 35 straight hours, right? And so if you're willing to forego sleep or a little bit of sleep, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you just keep moving. And, you know, most people do get to sleep three, four, five hours, right? But we're talking about one night of your whole life versus being able to say, hey, I went to Jackson Hole or Whistler or Sun Valley and and climbed that mountain 12, 15, 17 times until I climbed the height of Everest. Um, I sacrifice one night of sleep, you know, almost once a month. I do do that. I do do them all, right? And it's uh, to be able to tell that story but learn about yourself. And the skills that you learn and the patience, the discipline, the commitment, uh, the compassion, the empathy, all those things that happen because it's not a race. It's self-scored and you have 36 hours to, to keep track of your own hikes up the mountain and um, and be really rewarded with a, a pretty turnkey experience. So not a, not a super high finisher rate, but at the same time, you don't have to be an accomplished endurance athlete. And for most of our participants, they've never done uh, 10 kite. 10k or even a half marathon before before they sign up for the event wow yeah and what you talked about there is the mindset man the the to being able to do that because i think so many times that little space up here in our heads tells us we can't do this we can't do that it's dangerous no sleep or maybe you got a condo there maybe you're sleeping outside whatever it is people are doing the negative self-talk is huge right and that's in business that's in just anything in life so what have you done throughout your life to, to kind of flick that guy, that negative self-taught guy off your shoulder and, and compete and accomplish anyway? I mean, look, I think it's, it'd be wrong for me to say that I got it all figured out. But what I tell you is I'm constantly putting myself in a position where um, I'm gaining confidence through completing things. And I think that's the only way you really figure it out is that the voice inside your head is telling you you're not good enough, you're not fast enough, you're not strong enough you're not smart enough, you're not working, whatever that is, as you actually accumulate these small wins, and those wins happen a lot in training, right? I mean, you don't, you get this red hat if you finish, right? If you climb 29,029 feet, you, you earn this red hat. And um, you earn that red hat through five or six months of training, right? It's getting up in the morning when you didn't want to, it's going for a hike in the rain, it's doing the workout in the gym for your hip flexors. It's all of those little things that add up to the finish line and most people only see the finish line. So I think you're able to do it on a consistent basis. Um, look, today I finished my run and I was in a little bit of a rush for a call and I would normally go in cold plunge and I've had a plunge at my house for well over a year and I do it every day. It's going to be a mental challenge to do it later today. 
I'm not hot after a run. It's going to be dark by the time it's a chance to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be out of my routine. Um, but you get a small win from doing something like that, right? You start developing that mindset. And I think you just, if you constantly put yourself in a position um, where you have an opportunity to quit on yourself and you realize that you didn't, you sharpen that tool. So when you're doing something really big, like a 29 and 29, um, you're able to rely on some past experience there. Um, and even yeah. if you haven't done a big event, or you're, you're sharpening that tool through training. Yeah. So let's, uh, we're going to divert here for a second is this cold plunge. So everybody talks about, I've had the guy, Ryan Dewey, the founder of plunge on, and, and there's a lot of great ones out there. He's the one I know. Um, but talk to our listeners about that, man, because everybody that's anybody that's doing peak performance type stuff now is talking about this cold plunge. So is, uh, is it a game changer for you? Like it is for a lot of people. I mean, look, first of all, I have a plunge. So I'm not plugging it. I don't get paid to say anything. I've just had it for a while. I love it. I recommend it to a lot of people. So tell Ryan you made a great product and, and I love it. I will. Um, it's awesome, right? Look, I, I don't know if all the longevity things are true, but it certainly doesn't hurt anything. Um, it, it helps tremendously with recovery. And for me, it's as big as a mental boost as a physical boost. Uh, there's the very practical nature of just, I tend to be working out right before I have to go do something else. And I can't cool off. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. It's hot and humid, you know, yeah. and, then it, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to hop in something for three, four minutes and bring your core body temperature way down. I sleep better with it. So I'm a huge proponent of it just because I see no downside. I think the mental toughness aspect is key. How I've learned uh, about breathing and breath work and control and, and not panicking. And this taught my kids a lot. My boys are 11 and 13 now and watching their friends come over and, and the, the people who just can't commit to it make it way worse and those just kind of surrender and just lay in it and you get the vagus nerve and you just calm down and uh there's a real trust and learning process there so it's become part of my daily routine and just something that i feel like uh, if you have access to one there's really no reason not to be doing it and and i think there's potentially a lot of unbelievable reasons to do it um health benefits longevity recovery and, and sleep sleep being a big one for me i think um i sleep with a chili pad um, and I, I notice I sleep better and you have to be able to moderate, right? I wear a whoop, not sponsored nope. by any of these companies, not paying me to say this stuff. Um, but yeah, you need data to be able to show you. Right. And I think, um, I see a big difference in my sleep and recovery from using those products. So they've just become a mainstay in my training yeah. and in, in my life. And, and honestly for my family as well, my wife does this stuff now, my kids do too. So I think you're teaching them really good habits. It should benefit them for the rest of their lives. What's your temperature? What do you keep it at? So that, that was a big point of contention. When I originally got up, <laughs> I kept it at 39 to 40. And now we're about 45 degrees. And it, it, it kind of works in the way, as I'm sure you have one as well. It keeps it in a three-degree period, right? The chiller turns yeah. on once you get degrees away. So mine's typically 45, 46 degrees, which yeah. you get all the same benefits, according to the podcast that I listened to. And it's much more approachable than 39, 40 was, which was honestly yeah, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't you? do it every day like like you. Yeah. So I mean, are you are you? So you're an everyday guy, no miss, and um, which that's a big deal. So that's but but it doesn't get easier, does it? No, not at all. I mean, look, I travel, <laughs> a good and I'm away in an event or scouting new location or in a partnership meeting, whatever it is. You're gone for four or five days. It's really hard to get mentally ready to be like, okay, I can do this. I got to go back into it, but it's never yeah. easy. Ever. Yeah. Are you a sauna guy? I am as well. Um, I have a sauna. Um, 
and I've been doing that for a while. I used to have a steam, but I like the sauna a lot more. Yeah. Um, just able to stay in there longer. And actually, it's funny. It's become a lot more social, right? I know my right. partner, Jesse, uses it a lot for social, but it, 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 is, it is something uh, at night that's nice to do after dinner. Um, and uh, it's just become a little bit, not an everyday routine. Uh, I had a wood-burning sauna for a while. I just got a new electric one, which um, is being installed next week. So the infrared. Uh, uh, it's not infrared, actually. No. Okay. Um, but uh, it's got one of those hive hum heaters, the rocks, okay. the, the uh, really, really beautiful, modern looking, and uh, yeah, it's just become it's become something that uh, I feel like that the cold plunge and and then a few just kind of daily supplements have really been a game changer for me. So. Yep. And you say the fuge, or you say that's huge. Uh, it's huge. Yeah, uh, no, it's just been huge in terms of my, you know, daily, oh, the few supplements, sorry, yeah, the few. Um, I only take a few things, but I, I just realized I lose uh, way too much sodium when I work out, and I used to only take salt pills or electrolytes uh, when I was actually doing a race, and that's just been part of a daily program, and I've been taking athletic greens for a few years, okay. and um, really just enjoy that. I just feel like if I didn't do anything healthy for my body that day, at least I at least I took some athletic greens that day, right? And, and got like some it. greens. And uh, it's a simple thing that has become uh, very easy when I travel too, right? And um, those types of things, making sure I drink enough water, get the electrolytes in and take my athletic greens, I feel like I'm at least doing a baseline of something that's good for me if I'm out of my normal workout routine. Yep. What, uh, what supplement do you use for the salt or the, the electrolytes? Yeah, so I've been taking precision hydration for a while. Um, I just like that they have, um, the milligrams. So the total amount of sodium, um, they have tubes that are 500, a thousand or 1500 milligrams. And, um, that was very helpful for me when I did like super ultra endurance events, like hundred mile runs. Just, I knew how many, I knew how many milligrams I needed an hour and it just made the math really easy. Right. Yeah. Rather than taking salt pills and trying to figure out how many did I have, whatever this was, I could just take a 1500 tablet and know I was good for an hour and then take another one the next hour. Right. And, uh, so I've been taking, typically take their thousand milligram, um, and drink that about twice a day. And it's just a dissolvable tablet that I put in water. So okay. it's easy to travel with. Um, and I just, I lose a lot of salt when I sweat. So I did a sweat test and just figured out how much salt I was losing. And, and it's just learning about your body. Everybody's different. But I just realized one of my big fears in doing ultra endurance events was either overhydrating or not having enough electrolytes. And the way you fix that is just figuring out how much you sweat and realizing how much you need to replace mm. not only of actual liquid, but the, the salts, the sodium, um, the magnesium that you need to get back in your body. So that just became a system that's worked really well for me. And um, I really like their products. So. so what do you find as a business guy, right? You're a businessman, you're a husband, you're a father. Um but you want to, you want to grow a business, right? So what do you find that keeps you in peak performance? Is it just daily action every single day, everything we're already talking about, or how do you continue to find that extra gear to do all this personal stuff and the family stuff and yet still grow a kick-ass business? Yeah, I'll tell you, um, there's no such thing as balance. I had a real I agree. Life, right? So I better realize that you just have to optimize for certain things at a, at a point in time and then figure out, you know, what your kids need, what your wife needs and actually be in communication about those things. So I did an Ironman in 2017. My wife has always been supportive, whatever I want to do. And she said, not another one, right? The, the training. <laughs> We're tapping out. Um, 
yeah, she just said it was like it was too much on her. I was just, I was gone too much and um, I was too tired when I was home for the amount of training that I was putting in. And really because it's the multidiscipline, right? You got to spend all the time in the pool, yeah. all the time, like, and then run. Whereas, you know, doing something like Leadville, your body just can't run that much. You just break it down. So yeah. um, where you can be on a bike for a couple hours a day, you can't run that much. So what I've realized is like when you start a business, it really needs all of your attention. And putting, signing up to, to launch a business, be an entrepreneur, whether you're taking in capital or you're bootstrapping it, and then signing up for an Ironman or a 100 miler, and then having a kid at the same time is probably not wise, right? So you can't always time everything in your life, but I feel like when I've had these periods where I've had a little bit of a lull, it was, an ex it was, a, it was permission for me to say, okay, I'm gonna put something really big personal that I wanna go and do, right? And maybe that's an yeah. adventure, a mountain I wanna climb, a uh, hundred miler I want to run, but I know that I'm in a season of life where I have the time to do that. My non-negotiable has always kind of been my kids, right? They're only going to be in my, the house so long. And yeah. and that's why my wife said not another Ironman because I didn't miss time with my kids. I didn't miss their sporting events. You know, when they were at baseball games, I was running in between, uh, in between games or running from one part to the next, but then I wasn't with her. And so what I realized was after I did that, I needed to do something to support her. So she actually signed up and did the, the second 29 of 29 we ever did. And she never even done a 10K. But I went from having the support of her doing Ironman to then flipping it and supporting her in really her first race ever. And, and that felt really good. It was really good for our marriage. So I don't know if it's advice. I'd say my lived experience is you have to go really deep when you're an entrepreneur, but you don't have to do that forever. And it depends on what your goals are. My goals with 29 and 29 are not to be the biggest company out there, not to be the most profitable. Um, my, my real goals are to have an impactful community, to make, to build legacy, to have something that lasts, um, but maybe not maximize the profitability or the growth of the business. And that allows me to spend maybe some of that time that would be maybe spent on expansion if that was something that um, was a success metric of mine. I can spend it on other things, right? right. So I think it's being very self-aware. And also, honestly, just realizing you can't do everything at once because other things are going to suffer. And I'd rather do one thing or two things at an A plus than six at a B minus or a C plus. Yeah. yeah. Don't you agree to like putting things like for me, it's in my calendar. And so it's self-management, putting it in your calendar. Like if you want to be there for your kids or for your wife, whatever it may be, like write it down in your calendar and then fill in the work spots around it. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. And look, also, I think it's just be honest with people. Like last night I had a couple calls and I didn't want to miss my son's football game. So I just told yeah. him, I was like, look, I can hop on the phone and I can watch a football game while I'm on the phone. My son only plays defense. I'll talk to you when, he, when the offense is on the field. Yeah. Right. And it was just, it was a way to say, look, I can talk to you tonight or I can talk to you on Friday, but if it's urgent, I'm happy to get on the phone. Just understand there's going to be cheerleaders and a band in the background. Right. Um, but you can be flexible and work from a lot of places. And, and I think where we're at, this is unbelievable. And it's yep. also a curse if you can't put it down. And so finding that quiet time where you can get some real structured work done and really think and in a Ryan Holiday way, be still, right? And, yep. and honestly, make some good progress. And then also you can work from anywhere. And, and so I, I kind of take that liberty to be able to work from a bunch of different places and it allows me to spend more time with my family or friends or doing other things, adventure related. Um, so long as I carved out that time to get the real work done before I get on the road.
So let's talk about the uh, the idea stage, right? A lot of people have ideas, and, and I'm assuming I don't know how the the 29029 came uh, about, but you have an idea, and then let's say, you know what, man, let's go make it happen. Like nobody's doing this, nobody anywhere was doing anything like this, to my knowledge. How do you take an idea and then turn it into a business model, sell it, and then buy it back? Let's unpack that. <laughs> I'll start with um, have really good people around you who will tell you what a bad idea is too, right? And, and I don't say that lightly. Like I have a few people that I've worked with for years and I really trust and I can go to them. I've been in YPO, Young President's Organization, for a while now. You know, I go to my forum and say an idea that I have, we beat it up before I spend too much time on it. And sometimes that's just me having to defend my idea first and yep. get more conviction in it before I go and do something. Other times it's battle testing something being like, hey, maybe this isn't as good as the idea as I thought. But I think the thing that, that stops most people is just action, right? And most of the more. time what you think the initial idea isn't really that good, but by going out there and actually starting it, doing it, hosting the event, launching the podcast, writing the book, once you get started in the process, you get feedback, then you're iterating to figure out what the what the public wants, what the right product is, what the right placement is, what the right price point is, right? If you think about the four P's of marketing, you really can't sit in a room for months and figure it all out. And how many successful companies have been founded that had a pivot? Almost all of them, right? And uh, with 29, I don't know that there was a pivot, but if you looked at what we did event one, how we sold it, how we positioned it, it was really positioned as like farm to table food, great bands and a cool hiking challenge. And after the first event, Jesse and I looked at each other and Colin and we're like, this is really all about the story of climbing the height of Everest. Why are we spending money on farm to table meals and getting these bands from New York city to come in that are these yeah. wonderful bands? No one wants to listen to them. People want to spend all their energy on the mountain. Let's take those dollars and invest it in training in coaching and mindset talks and, and speakers and actually do everything to, to not, rip out components of the event and, and replace it with margin. But let's figure out ways to actually reinvest those dollars in a way that supports what we think actually people are looking for and, and helping them achieve their goal better. So that led to really refining a product. And I think what we really did at the very beginning, we had two rules. I think it's very important to, hey, if you're in business by yourself, it's important to kind of know what your vision and values are and write them down. Yep. That's business one-on-one, but a lot of people don't do it. Um, the second thing is, it's really important if you have partners to make sure you have alignment there. Um, but like, what are your goals, right? And our goal was very simply to care the most. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like, it's really true. We just said, hey, look, if we wanna really build community, we wanna have something that stands out and very different from the whole world of endurance sport and adventure sport, we're gonna care the most. And, and how does that play through? That plays through in the, the people you work with, the people you hire, the vendors work with. And then we're now in year seven and um, we had no paid partners, any, right? And, and so you realize like, I didn't want our participants to be the product, right? I, yeah. I wanted the product to be hiking the mountain. Well, yes, we could have had a cheaper ticket if we had allowed people to come in like BMW or Land Rover and sell their cars to this audience, right? Cause it's right. an expensive ticket. And I didn't want that because I'd be servicing the sponsor and their needs and not servicing the customer. So we were very customer centric and caring the most. And that, that led us to build something that was very authentic, 
And anytime we had an opportunity to chase dollars from sponsors and we focused on the customer, it was easy to go back and say, what do we want to initially do? And is that still in alignment now? So, you know, how did that lead to selling the company and buying it back? Well, at the end of the day, um, selling the business was something that there are just going to be points in time. And I, and I think a lot of it just has to do with timing. Um, there was a time period in 21 where valuations were absolutely crazy. Um, across all sectors, you had companies looking to go public, companies going public. You had unbelievable amounts of private equity and VC cash sloshing, yeah. sloshing around. And there was opportunity that may not exist again. Now, look, that's a little bit hindsight, but you knew at the time there was a wave being built. And in buying the company back was a realignment of goals, right? I stayed on as CEO um when we sold the business my whole team came with me so it was a strategic kind of partnership and acquisition but when i realized that like long term the company that acquired us didn't really have a plan that married once they had to pivot their business model it became like well i'm a buyer i love this i want to continue to do it and and being mature enough i think and patient enough for that opportunity to happen and not forcing it yeah. Well, and, and I think too, staying involved and seeing something that's not hitting your passion and your mission, right? I mean, I think the, the clearer we are as entrepreneurs, as business owners, I mean, there is a clear passion and mission for what we're doing in our firm. And I would assume if I got displaced from that, but could still see, you know, kind of like the goldfish looking or looking at in at the goldfish, I could see this thing not going down the path I want. I, I, I don't want that, right, man? I want my baby back. Yeah. And, and look, some of it's just, I became a lot more self-aware. Right. Like yeah. I had a business partner buy me out of a business. Um, I had uh, a business go under. Right. And so I'd had success, some success, had some failure. And then you have a big, a big win, like selling a business. And I think a lot of that as an entrepreneur, you think it's going to provide some validation for what you're doing. And what I realized was like, this is my passion. Yeah. It wasn't a mistake to sell the business. It was just that I wanted to buy it back almost more than I really thought I wanted to sell it. Right. And that's yeah. because there was such an alignment in my purpose and my passion. And, and look, the, the acquisition was great. My whole team stayed with me. I continued to do the same job. Um, and I just realized I'm a really bad employee. I'm an entrepreneur. And, <laughs> right. you know, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to get to run a business unit. I'm going to get to acquire other businesses like this and put my business model on it. And I realized that I'd rather just only have to answer to myself or my partners um, collaboratively than, than have a boss, right? I just realized yeah. there's a reason I left as an entrepreneur in the beginning and um, in recognizing that uh, I would be much happier going forward, maybe even less financial opportunity, but more control over my day-to-day -day was, was much more valuable to me at that, point of, at that point in my life and still is. Well, great learning, right? That's a great learning to know you just can't work for somebody. I'm, I'm not an employee myself, so it's, uh, it's, it's good to know. So I saw one of your posts, you said there's growing old versus growing up. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, you recall look, that dad, post. My dad is super close. I'm close to both my, my my parents, and they've been married for fifty plus years. And all I see my dad is like, he still has fun all the time, right? He's still very yeah. young at heart. Um, and like, yeah, you, you're gonna have to grow old at some point. That doesn't mean you you have to 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 mature too much to a point to not be able to laugh at yourself to try new things and. Um, so yeah, it's super important to me to stay young at heart. And, um, you know, I say to my kids, I hope this comes across humble, but we were at a, a football game last week and the, the, the steps on the bleacher are, are pretty big and I'm, I'm 43. Like I'm not 33 anymore. Like I think right. I am and I keep myself in really good shape, but 
I looked at my son and my my uh, my older son because my younger son was on the football field and I was like, you know, look around, look at these dads like gingerly walking down these steps that are like my age, around the same age. And I was like, I jump down those things, right? right. Like my brother brag of just like, I don't want to get old, right? No. Like, try new things but you have to work hard for that right you have to you have to say no to some bad meals not drink as much you got to get in the gym you got to do things but i want to preserve the ability of me being not only kind of young at heart and maybe even a little immature with my sense of humor or my ability to laugh at myself the way i approach things but also physically just be able to do stuff um for a longer period of time than most people my age are able to i realize 43 is still really young um but I want to be able to do the same stuff when I'm 73. And I really do believe that's possible, but it takes a mindset of kind of like staying, staying young at heart to, I think, be able to achieve that. Yeah. I, I was just, uh, last week I went and, uh, we played 36 holes of golf per day out of Bandon Dunes out in Oregon. So if you're a know. golfer, it's phenomenal. Uh, highly recommend it to anybody listening. That's a golfer, but we talked about it. You know, I'm 45 and I'm like, Man, this is a young man's game. We're walking because there's no there's no golf cart. So it's 36 holes yep. a day. We're walking 15 to 17 miles a day. Thankfully, we had a caddy. Uh, but but it's a lot, right? By the end of the you know the first couple of days, you're you're hurting. So we did that for four straight days. And uh, but it's but I had the exact same thought, man. Like I don't want to not continue to be able to do this stuff because I'm quote unquote too old. And my actual long term goal in life is to play golf on my hundredth birthday and and you know shoot shoot under a hundred. You know, and so uh, that's yeah, that's the great, goal. Great. And so, yeah, I think I think having that stuff, but it's important now. So, what is that routine like for you? I know you said you like to run in the cold plunge and the sauna and all that, but kind of break that down for you: your food choices and even your exercise. What's that look like in a busy world today? Look, uh, I'm not as regimented as most people think, right? Uh, okay, I'm really regimented when I have a goal. If I'm training for an ultra, a big race, whatever it is, I don't miss a workout. Right now, I think it's about finding some, some way to move every day. I don't know that these are like really amazing life hacks for people, but um, I take a lot of calls. I'm on the phone a lot, my team's remote. I walk constantly. Right now, my friends will tell me walking's not working out, so we'll, on one of those calls a day, I put on a 30 pound rucksack. You know, and, and you walk four or five miles with 30 pounds on your back up and down hills, you build a lot of strength, core strength, back strength, leg strength, and I don't consider that a workout, right? So. My workout typically is I run five miles a day, four days a week. And um, I lift weights two to three days a week. And then hopefully somewhere in there, depending on travel and what's going on, there's one long workout, whether it's a long bike ride, whether it's a long run, something of the duration of you know an hour and a half to two hours, right? But food, just through my nature of kind of trying to maximize as much time in a day, I don't sit down for lunch. Today, the okay. first thing I ate was at 2 o'clock. I realized I was intermittent fasting years ago, not even knowing about right. intermittent So, you know, I take my kids to school every day. That's a non-negotiable for me. And my wife has her time in the morning, and I take the kids to school. And then I'm working out sometimes before I take them, sometimes after. I'm really flexible, but I make sure I do something active every single day that I would consider a workout. And I don't consider taking a conference call with a rucksack on a workout. It's just... I'm being active rather than sedentary. Yeah. So yeah. I think for me, it's always been about having enough hydration. I don't drink soft drinks. Like these are simple things, right? I don't snack a lot. Um, and I try to eat as healthy as we can. We try to cook in, you know, three to four nights a week. 
but there's no like super strict diet. It's more or less just like a little bit of moderation and a lot of activity. And I've just found like I haven't gained weight um, in probably 13 to 15 years unless I was trying to, to gain weight, but I'm really active. I'm on my feet constantly. I'm playing yeah. with my kids a lot. And uh, I'm only really in a routine where I'm tracking every workout and all that type of stuff. If there's something big on my calendar, otherwise I'm just trying to be six to eight weeks away of hard training, be ready for almost anything. Right. I try yeah. to stay in good enough state. And that's something I learned from the, an amazing endurance coach uh, who works in our staff, Chris Howe, who's rich roles, personal coach and two time oh, yeah. Olympian. He's like, look, all my athletes are six or eight weeks ready from almost doing anything. Like if you want to go run a hundred mile run and I'm coaching you six weeks from now, you could be ready. If six weeks of hard training. And while I'm not on that caliber, I'm pretty close to where if I put my head yeah. down for six weeks, I've, I've maintained a level of fitness that could have me ready for almost anything in a six to eight week period. So what's the next experience, man? What are you doing with your kids? And cause that's something I'm thinking about. My oldest is a uh, senior and I've got a you know senior, a sophomore, eighth grade, fourth grade. One of my first uh, college visit with my son, sorry, Auburn, it was at Ole Miss Another SEC okay. there. And uh, it was fun. We went to the Grove, did a little tailgating before the football game. It was incredible. Um, but, you know, I'm looking for those those experiences. So what, what do you have out there that you think would be cool with the kids, whether it's adventurous, running, riding, swimming, hiking, whatever it may be? Yeah, so uh, two things that I learned each independently from someone else, not my own ideas. Um, one, when each of my boys turns 13, I had one turn this year. They get to pick anywhere in the United States they want to go on a trip. It's just the two of yep. us for three nights. Um, I had an opportunity to, to go to London, um, and go to some premier league games. My 13 year old super into that. So he said, nice. dad, you in the U S then <clears throat> London. Um, so I got to up the ante for my 11 year old, uh, when he turns 13 and then when they turn 18, they get to pick anywhere in the world they want to go. And my wife and I, the four of us will go on a family trip together. And that's been something that yeah. gets talked about a lot. And I want them to be really invested in it. They're going to have to plan it. Um, but it's already being talked about in our family. So those are like two things at 13 and 18, kind of like going into eighth grade and then going into college that I felt like was a really important time. One for me to just do one father, son, one to do as a family. As far as other adventures, you know, I found for me, um, the things that we enjoy most as a family is if we get out of our comfort zone. And so I really enjoy going to other countries and immersing ourselves in the culture. And um, experience that I've loved, you know, we, we went to Patagonia, we've gone to Costa Rica, um, and they're super, super active vacations, right? Like you want a vacation afterwards to just rest, right? but I want my kids to see the world. And I think, you know, even in the United States, you know, we tend to spend our summer, we spend a few weeks in Telluride every year. Um, this last summer, because I had events in Jackson Hole and Sun Valley, we spent time at those locations and like getting out in the mountains there's something to do every day. And I've really enjoyed adventures where my kids had to put a decent amount of effort into something. Um, so the big hikes, stand up paddle boarding down rivers, um, the mountain bike riding, that stuff's been very rewarding. Even taking them up their first like 13 or next year, we'll probably climb a 14 or with them, you know, wow. safe routes, but like a lot of work, right? And then you get the payoff of a view. I really enjoyed those experiences where they kind of complained at the beginning. Um, I did a dirt bike adventure and I never ridden a dirt bike. So we all had to learn how to ride dirt bikes together, camp out. I don't like camping. Right. <laughs> and it ended up being something that was amazing. I did it with another entrepreneur and his sons. There were, there were actually like four dads and four sons. So I found stuff like that to be really gratifying too, where you have to kind of learn to build together. 
Um, and then you're doing it in an adventure where it's not easy, but I, I also think that the memories are so much stronger from doing those types of activities that we've done together. It's incredible. Yeah, we do the 13 and then they're uh, the summer after they graduate. So it'll be our first one finally, uh, not finally because it went so damn fast, but our big trip. But they're, they're, they're thinking a little bigger, man. Our, our, our first one when he was 13, it was uh, COVID. So we kind of got, uh, you know, screwed in that deal. We ended up having a staycation here in St. Louis, but it was nice. It was fun. And then uh, the next one picked Chicago. And then the, the last one we just did in April was uh, he picked California. So I'm anxious oh, nice. to see in a, in a few years what our next one does. So uh, last couple questions here, man. You, you talked about earlier about dreaming big. And, and we've really kind of been dreaming big and talking big this whole time. But what is that process for you? Because like for me, it's, it's this black journal here. It's sitting down. It's spending time myself. It's thinking. It's dreaming. It's strategizing. Do you have a process like that that you could share with our listeners? Or what is that dreaming big process for you? Yeah. So I found what works really well for me is I need to be moving and I need to be outdoors and I got to get in a place that inspires me. And look, I, yeah. Atlanta is a beautiful, city. I like it, but it doesn't inspire me. So yeah. what I found works really well for me is to go to a beautiful place, spend time in nature without any distraction. Anytime I run, I don't bring my phone. I don't wear an Apple watch. You know, I want to be away from devices. I think I do really good thinking there. And then, you know, look, I, Jesse and I are partners in a few businesses and, and, and Jesse, for those who don't know, him, is an incredible entrepreneur. Um, super inspiring person. But if you think you have a big idea, bring it to someone who's had ideas that are 10 times bigger. bigger. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and get pushed in that sense. I think that whether it's related to 29 or 29 or not, when I'm thinking about something that I think is a game changer and you, you, you have a circle of friends and peers that are thinking big, and I don't always think that, that big means more money, right? But just challenging yourself, a big adventure, whatever it is, right? Having people there that you really look up to challenge and say, are you thinking big enough or are you limiting yourself? And sometimes you're starting really big and then refining on the way down. But I think that, uh, that who you surround yourself with matters so much because when I'm thinking about adventures I'm going to go and do, I'm comparing adventures I would do to Colin O'Brady, who's one of my partners who's got 10 world records and is the only was the first person to pull a sled across Antarctica for 60 something days, self-supported, right? So he's thinking of an adventure as something no human has ever done before. And therefore, when I get ideas from him, it's like his weekend training routine, right? And that's not diminishing what I'm doing, but I'm also not going to a circle of friends that are so impressed with what they've done. Yeah, um, They're gonna think anything I do is outstanding. I'm surrounding myself with peers who have done such impressive things. I mean, I, I personally have two close friends that have rode the Atlantic. I mean, that's nuts, right? I would never think right. of rowing, right? But when you start talking to them, they're like, oh, did you know you can do this between Antigua and this? And that'd be really cool for like two days, right? Or did you know you can yeah, ski think across, different. Yeah, you can ski across Finland, right? It's eight-day cross-country skiing, and they set up, you know, tents for you to sleep in. And so now me and my friends are kind of considering, oh, is that something we do for our next guy's trip, right? So... It's kind of expanding who you speak to around these things and not not being nervous around sharing your ideas because a lot of times my friends are actually challenging me to think bigger and I'm probably a little too focused on something that is probably too attainable and and you know they're pushing me to think bigger because they've had such big experiences themselves. Yeah. Saul uh, Seaside was on your uh, location thing for your deal. So watercolor Seaside, you love 30A down there. I do. I really do. My parents started going down there in like the early 2000s and that's been it's changed uh, a bit. 
Yes, changed a lot. And I think, um, you know, it's easy to look back, but I, I uh, and say, oh, I should have bought real estate. I should have looked at this, whatever. It's, it's interesting to learn from those moments too, right? And, and the people who did and the companies that invested there and the vision that they had to see what's it's transpired yeah. to. To me, like, I, I don't look back and say, I missed an opportunity. I look back and say, what could I learn? from that area what could i learn from what those people did because they took a lot of big risks and um it's i i cheer them for winning because yeah, yeah that area exploded and it's become a great family place for us we'll be down there for yeah. thanksgiving this year with my parents and, and i love it down there yeah we go there a couple times a year i'll be down there i go on a, two times for the family and one time with a buddy's golf trip down there and i i had the same learning moment man i made an offer in a house in 19 went back and did the head scratcher in uh this summer and I saw what it sold for. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a humbling moment. Yeah. What do I learn from that one? But Hey, you live and learn, right? Uh, where do our listeners find more of you? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, 29 29. I mean, just Google two nine Oh two nine, just the numbers. And then my Instagram handle is Mark M A R C two nine Oh two nine. So I'm pretty synonymous with our brand. Um, yeah. I live and breathe it. And, and yeah, we would encourage anyone whether you're going to check out our event or something else, like put something big on your calendar, right? I think it's uh, putting something big on your calendar gives you um, the opportunity to, to be more interesting. And and you'd be surprising how much people just really care um, about you doing something different, whether that's running a marathon, whether it's, you know, starting a podcast, whatever it is. I think, you know, putting something big on your calendar um allows you to be part of a conversation that you're not starting with other people. They're starting it with you and, uh, and not to be egotistical, but I just think it, 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 it's very interesting how that then leads into business and other opportunities because you're just doing something that people find of interest and um, you're continuing to challenge yourself, which I think all too often people think about doing, but don't do. So I would, I would just encourage people to find something no matter how scary and support, surround yourself with people that will support you in doing it. And that's really what we've been trying to do at 29 and 29 since the beginning. Also creates a sense of urgency for your training, man, to stay in shape. <laughs> yeah, I need that. I need that for sure. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being with me on the Circuit of Success. Hang with me when I hit finish here. And then, uh, but man, really appreciate you being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Brad.